Nothing in this podcast or related content is investment or financial advice. Hello and welcome to the Web3 for Good podcast. We're on a mission to uncover the greatest innovators, thinkers and creators building the next reiteration of our online lives. I'm your host, Camilla Perkis-White, a digital brand strategist who's worked with some of the world's biggest businesses to drive impact and purpose in the online world. Throughout this podcast, I'll be hosting a series of intimate conversations with leaders in the Web3 space. I'm hoping to inspire all of us to begin building a Web3 for good. So welcome here to the first episode, where we have Gina Anderson to talk about how Web3 is transforming the charitable and social impact ecosystem. We're going to dive deep into her incredibly unique life story and understand what drove her to build a blockchain-driven charity and DAO. I think you'll have a laugh too. As the time of this recording, the ETH merge hadn't happened and Twitter, well, Elon Musk was just a super user. Radio, on to our first episode. Hello, listeners. I am very excited to introduce today to you Gina Anderson, feminist writer, codename GD Anderson, and founder of the Cova Project and Honey Badger's NFT and DAO. Today, we're sitting down talking about the opportunities for raising money, spending it, and the transparency of impact. Gina, welcome to Web3 for Good. Thanks, Camilla. I'm so excited to be here. And Gina is also a fellow Aussie, so I'm very pleased to have her here. Um, And I'm sure you'll pick up a few nice twangs from both of us along the way. Gina, I wanted to open up uh, and kind of introduce you to, to everyone, but from yourself. So maybe you could give us a little bit of a rundown into your journey into social good, where that began, Uh, and sort of how you've landed with such impactful projects today. Wow. I mean, it's, it's been a journey. It's certainly something that I look back on in life and think I, I never thought it was my goal to get into the charity sector or to work in social impact, but I actually had a look at my year 12 end of year kind of book the other day and it said what do you want to do in 10 years and all I said was I'd like to help people and so apparently there was a part of me that was like very tapped into that narrative uh, before potentially I realized but my my story is a bit of an interesting one I, I always was very clear that I wanted to be a wildlife vet and I knew that from the jump like there was never any hesitation for me my entire life, I just want to work with animals and especially uh, endangered wildlife. And so I was very clear that was my path academically. I loved playing sport, went down that route. And unfortunately, at some point in my teen years, I developed Lyme disease. And, you know, it's, it's a question of where I got that from. It could have been, you know, several of the Duke of Edinburgh expeditions out in the wilderness or traveling or anything. But it certainly um, took me out at the knees and, and put me on a completely different path to the one I was on where I went from being athletic to not being able to basically walk to the bathroom from bed, not being able to pour myself a glass of water with a heavy water bottle, uh, not being able to read. And it was a real like spanner in the works in terms of what that future was going to be. It certainly 
took me off the track of a high academic future, which is what is required to be a vet. So I really had to approach life a little bit differently and say, what are my strengths and where can I kind of lean into being a bit of an autodidact and, and teaching myself some things. And I ended up doing some digital marketing freelance uh, in Australia and, and really kind of going down that path. And how that spiraled into a really nice job for myself in the country of Namibia, working in a wildlife sanctuary, rural medical clinic, land conservation site, doing all of that digital marketing, but for an incredible nonprofit, which was my absolute crash course, deep end, like no mercy introduction to the charity world. And from there, I just kind of kept rolling with it, ended up starting a charity of my own after witnessing uh, the issue of period poverty firsthand in Namibia. Really wanted to do something about that. That seemed like an issue that for me had very obvious solutions that just needed to be implemented. So I wanted to be a part of that solution. And so started a wonderful charity called The Cova Project that provides menstrual health solutions to girls, women, menstruators all around the world and then ended up in Web3. And now I'm just neck deep in social impact and like pretty happy pig in mud. <laughs> oh, Dina, I mean, that story is incredible. And, you know, as an adult now, it really blows my mind how strong we can be as young people. Tell me a little bit then, starting a charity in 2018, what opportunities did the good old internet give to you to help fund the social good that you wanted to do? So many. I mean, we, from the jump, we wanted to be a different charity. We noticed that a lot of Australian charities were either tiny charities that weren't really succeeding, or like I said, these inst these international institutions that were household names and relied on these really old school methods of philanthropy that kind of excluded like the everyday donor. So like, yes, you would give $5 or, you know, donate to someone who was running a marathon, but you really didn't know where that $5 went. You kind of assumed it went to admin. And really, unless you were giving something like $20,000, you weren't treated like part of the ecosystem. And so we wanted to flip that on its head. We wanted to do something that was going to energize young women in the charity sector. And we knew how many people were just embracing social media, living their lives on Instagram and looking for like what good could be done in the world. And so we, we targeted, you know, women 18 to 30 and kind of said, let us be the cause that you, you know, attach yourselves to that resonates with you. And let's like go on this journey together and we'll take you along every step of the way. And so we did really significant social media campaigns and really uh, went after this idea that a $7 donation would donate a cup. And so anyone could donate. And we found that that really helped us build a network quite quickly of people who maybe didn't have the means to be that big philanthropist today, but might be that person tomorrow. And so we really wanted to kind of have a community that was going to in 20 years time say, I remember donating to the COVID project. It was the first charity I ever gave to. And I had access to Gina personally and I could come, you know, kind of 
I could see everything play out. I was very involved because they utilized social media to take me on the journey. That's very interesting. I'm going to come back to your comment about first, because obviously there's something in you there about really bringing people into social good. So I really love this because I donated to COVID Project and exactly that. I was driven by seeing that I could buy a menstrual cup and I could see that that would be the impact I could have. Another great charity I love that does this is Choose Love. And in my family, every Christmas, uh, that's what we do. It's like, go and buy a, you can buy one month's rent or you can buy a kit for a young child when they come to a refugee camp. And whether or not that's the physical object that is served to them, I think giving people that visualization of where the money is going to go, I think particularly can speak very well to millennials and Gen Z who are very visually driven um, and are used to seeing things in, in real time. So I do think, agree that social media really helped us exemplify that and give access very seamlessly you know, if I can't pay for something with one click, it ain't happening. Yep. Like even now I'm shocked that I can't go to an ATM and like tap my phone. I'm like, what do you mean? I, have to, I don't even have my card, you know? So the accessibility and the transfer of money is, is so important. Now you're based in Australia, COVID projects based in Africa, people are donating all over the world. How has that worked from traditional currency point of view? It's tricky. We are, as you said, a completely global operation. Our supplier of cups is in Sweden. Our local partners are on the ground in the countries we work in, Liberia, Ghana, Uganda, Malawi. I'm in Australia. Our consultants kind of flick between one of them's based in Ghana, the other one's occasionally based in the US. It's, it's a real like global operation. And moving money around the world is like to me, one of the most unnecessarily painful processes that exists. Like I, it blows my mind how global a society we are and how difficult it is to move money around. And so, I mean, we lose money constantly in exchange rates. We lose money in bank fees. We follow very strict protocols. The Australian government doesn't like Australian charities transferring to complex countries in Africa. And so, for example, we can't transfer money directly to our project in Liberia. We have to go through the US, so we end up losing money twice in that transfer. It is a real pain point. So the donor experience is very streamlined. You can use Apple Pay, you can use a credit card. It all kind of works out very nicely. The charity experience of utilizing bank transfers is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something that you never consider as, as the donator at all. Right. So I think this is a great transition because what we've done is we've set up some really powerful points of what you've been doing so far. But let's talk about the big global pivot of COVID, which happened good old 2020, where the entire world had to rethink their business. Now, Gina, talk to me. This is where we really saw you leap across from Web 2 to Web 3. So let's talk that story about not only how maybe Cova Project has evolved, but how also you have evolved and welcomed new projects and new ways of raising and social impact. So do you want to talk me through that kind of pivot moment? Sure. It, it took the whole kind of pandemic to get my head around what this was going to look like. We actually happened to be 
traveling in uh, March 2020 as the pandemic started to unfold. And I remember every country that we were traveling to, we'd be watching the news and the country that we'd just come from would have just shut its borders. And we were kind of like, hmm, this feels like it's really bad. And everyone back in Australia was scrambling to get toilet paper and people were saying, oh, don't worry, you've got to come to the footy. We're going to fill the stadium. And then 20 minutes later going like, don't come to the footy, you're all going to die. And it was like, oh, this feels terrible. And it was only when the US withdrew the entire Peace Corps, which has never happened before. And we happened to be staying at a hostel in Malawi that was full of Peace Corps people that we were like, oh, we need to go because they're going to shut the airports. And I was on one of the last flights out of South Africa and it was just this real moment of like, oh my God, the entire world is shutting down and we've actually seen it play out firsthand. And everybody back home was kind of like, this is crazy, but it's going to go back to normal soon. And I was like, I feel like I've just seen this play out like <laughs> through Europe and then all across Africa. This is going to go on for a really long time. And so we started kind of going, okay, what does this look like for our business? Obviously, we're very digital, so that's not a problem. We'll, we'll stick digital. By the time we got to our fundraising event, we just went, it's fine. What we'll just do is a small leadership donor event. It all worked out fine for 2020. People were still wanting to go back to normal. But by the time we got to 2021, totally different story. People were sick of virtual events. They were sick of digital campaigns. They were too afraid to go out. There was almost no solution for like a fundraising method that was going to bring in the same amount of money as what we were previously capable of bringing in. And so we just sat there being like, okay, we have to like totally pivot. We have to come up with a new game plan and it's going to be something that we don't even know about yet. So what are we going to start exploring? And personally, I'd got into crypto at the beginning of 2021, just out of curiosity. I don't like not knowing about things. And I felt like crypto was something that like a lot of the men in my life were talking about. And I was like, mm, we got to figure this out. And so I ended up in that space. I got dragged onto Twitter, which was the platform that I had rejected my entire life as like, this is a waste of time as a platform. And now I spend like 90% of my life on Twitter. <laughs> I was about to say, Gina, like if I ever open Twitter, you're there yep. on the spaces. You are there talking, you've got something to say, the tweets are out, the links are out. I'm like practically Elon Musk. Like I bought Twitter at this point. Like it's, it's insane. Gina, tell everyone your handle. My handle is at G underscore D Anderson. There you go. Everyone can have a quick listening break just to change screens and then I'll return. Beautiful. So, so I ended up seeing, you know, this whole space, uh, which was the, the art scene of NFT Twitter and learning about this whole crypto nft world and i was absolutely fascinated world of women had just launched and i just thought oh that project's a little bit of me i absolutely missed out on that which like the biggest regret in life every time i see a world of women i'm like next time i'll get in faster that was actually when i first went into nfts the first one i saw too totally undiscovered like yep just finished minting and uh i was conversing with my nft mentor metazoe and she was like, yeah, 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 looks good. And then a few months later, she was like, oh, you do have an iPhone. Yeah. 
<laughs> I love it. That's literally that you are. We both missed it. That, but that was all of it. I feel like we all got there and we were like, this looks fantastic, but I'll just wait a little bit. I'll just learn for a little bit longer. And it's like, if we'd all just bought World of Women. This is exactly it. I was still learning to set up my wallet for a little while and like, where do I move my money across? Or like, do I really want to do this? How do I open Discord? So I agree as, as a lot of women who are very successful in this space that just took time to listen, yep. you know, in the beginning. And sometimes that misses a bit of the momentum as well. We're a little risk averse. A risk averse, which is actually beneficial in the long run. But at the time, there's always going to be that. Everybody's got that first project that they just were like, I wish I'd just like rushed into that one. But in general, like great rule of thumb for crypto and NFTs, like never rush into anything. It's always a bad idea. And not investment advice. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry, Gina, continue. Obviously, we're on your journey. Let's go. <laughs> so, so yeah. So then I just was like, I, I love this world. I was obsessed with the fact that artists were getting royalties off their pieces and for the first time, I felt like artists were getting recognition as they uh, as their success grew. But I I love a little bit of a sustainable funding model. And I just kind of looked at that and went, oh, that's a really nice model for the COVA project. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could partner with some artists and sell their works as part of a collection for the COVA project? They could keep the initial sale price and then we could get the royalties as those artists became more and more successful. And I don't know how I put the team together that we put together for the initial COVID Dignity Collection, but every single one of those artists has blown up to like massive success in the NFT space and is like a real winner. <laughs> Agreed. I was having a refresher just before this and I was like, ah, oh, and another, and another, and oh my God, she's got them in. So yeah, if anyone does want to have a look, I mean, I had a had my best kind of browse to buy on OpenSea. Is that the best place to for people to have a look? That's the best place. Yeah, so COVID Dignity Collection. We'll put all the links in the show notes as per usual. But honestly, you again, you've got an eye for art. I think Sotheby's might need to snap you up because <laughs> there are some of the hottest artists in the NFT space in here. And this is your chance to have something really unique. So yeah, so this successful, how would you kind of measure the success of this activation for the COVID project? It was a it was a great success. We made a couple of thousand dollars, which I think for anyone's initial intro to the NFT space, having a successful collection launch is a miracle as is. And we had some amazing kind of supporters in Maliha from Women Rise, uh, who just saw what I was doing with Cova and wanted to amplify that as much as possible. And so we really kind of, I would say, thrown into the spotlight by some incredible women in the space. And it didn't hurt that all of these massively talented artists that we had decided to work with ended up being incredible human beings as well. And so everyone just kind of worked together to take up a bit of real estate on Twitter, promote each other and the COVA project won in the end uh, with a, a chunk of funding and then also a real name for ourselves with a, a completely new global audience that I think in the long term was probably our biggest win. Do you think we might be able to convince you to do a second collection we've already done a second collection i think a okay third, third. Fourth, fifth. yes more, more, yes more i i'm like <laughs> ready to go forever like i just think it's the most amazing thing and the 
the incredible thing was when we did launch our second collection a couple of months ago, and it all exists in the one OpenSea collection. It just comes in in different waves. We just had so many incredible, incredible artists just give us pieces, initial sale price and royalties and jump at the opportunity to be involved, which I think speaks volumes about the the first uh, COVID Dignity collection people and how much they advocated for us and how positively they spoke about the experience because no one would work for us if that first round hadn't said, you know, this was something that really brought some value to our lives as much as we were able to bring value to the girls who benefit from the money that we raised. Incredible, incredible. And I want to talk about your other Web3 NFT project. I don't know which one came first, but Honey Badges. Cova first and then straight into Honey Badges. I would love you to give the introduction to Honey Badges to our listeners. So Honey Badges came out of the Cova Dignity collection. One of the incredible artists that we brought on for Cova Dignity was the spectacular Aslan Ruby, who is a good friend of mine, Serana, who I met in the space. And she... She and I just hit it off immediately and her style I was completely obsessed with. And I'd kind of in playing in this space been thinking there's this this need for some kind of philanthropic project that has a social impact side to it and is a place for the activists to go and gather because everybody here seems to be super into innovation, super into social impact and super into tech. So like there's a there's a potential here for something. And I said to her, I'd love you to do a piece for the COVID Dignity Collection, which she said yes immediately. And then I was like, and you want to go on this insane journey with me and start a giant NFT project and do all the art for it? And she was like, what? No. But I talked her into it. And um, and so we started this, this thing called Honey Badges, which is an NFT uh, project on the blockchain Solana, which that was one of the things we wanted to do was launch on a blockchain that no one was really on. Um, I'd experimented on Solana and it was full of crypto bros and no women. And I was like, we need to get a lot of women over here. Let's pause on that for a second, because that is a big challenge to take on, right? You know, when you've already got the challenge of raising money, there are lots of other different cryptocurrencies that we can be operating within. There are, of course, potential favorites that are plugged into things like OpenSea, like Ethereum. So I understand there's this great passion there for onboarding and getting exposure, but has that also raised a lot of challenges for you? Yeah, for sure. Solana was, uh, I think, probably one of our biggest barriers to to initial success. We saw a lot of projects selling out very quickly, which was never uh, really our ambition. But there was a moment where we were kind of like, "Oh, are we gonna are we gonna be one of these projects that sells out quickly?" But the truth is that. We were tackling so many different barriers. We were not meeting people where they were on Ethereum. We were purposely trying to drag them over the bridge to Solana for three reasons. The first one being there were no women on Sol, and I wanted to do something about that. I also think, you know, I, I used to use the analogy of like, it's such a hike to get into crypto and NFTs. Like you do so much work, you learn so much. And I was getting frustrated with the fact that I felt like we were getting onto ETH and then we were like, oh my God, thank God we made it, kicking off our heels, like taking our bra off and being like, I'm never getting up again. Like, don't make me get up again. And I was like, we just, it's like, it's like a tiny step further to get to Seoul. And then we're like completely across the board, as educated as all the dudes, like 
we, we got to get there. So I was like trying to get everybody to just like put their heel on for one more second and like, you know, pop your bra back on and like, we're nearly there. But it is, you know, it's an unnecessary fight, but certainly one that I was just frustrated watching all of these guys making so much money on Seoul in the early days. And I was like, girls, there's money to be made. Like, let's go. So that was reason number one, uh, which we we were calling cross-chain cross literacy. And then the second reason was Solana is a carbon neutral blockchain. I'm kind of big on making sure we're not adding to the climate crisis and hopefully kind of you know, participating in this learning experience, but not being a part of the problem. And obviously the Ethereum merge is on its way, which will be very positive for that. But at the time there was no date on the merge. So it was like, well, let's give Solana a go. And finally, we were trying to onboard people from all over the world, especially global change makers across Africa and South America. We couldn't at the time ask people to mint a project that could potentially have a transaction fee or a gas fee of like 300 USD. That was an unreasonable request. So Solana has never had a transaction fee like over 50 cents. It's generally 0.00005 cents. And so it just felt like the blockchain that was made for the people. And given that we were a project that was also meant to be for the people, it was the right place for us. And then tell me a little bit more about the creative angle of this, because the artwork is beautiful and you've evidently worked very closely with the artist to make her work as hard as possible because they're so unique all of them like everyone I see there's there's something new there's a new story there's a there's a whole new character embodied give us a, a talk behind the art and the, and the narrative that you have there I mean look I won't take too much credit because truly Aslan Ruby is like the most prolific artist in the space she is a talent beyond belief I just every time she does anything she like stuns me which at this point is insane because I've seen eight million pieces by her so like for her to release a new thing and still have me text her every time being like you've outdone yourself is like I don't know how she does it um but we wanted to do a collection that was in the image of an animal that kind of we wanted to make sure that it wasn't um, a gendered collection. So we wanted to go with an animal so everybody felt represented. Um, There was no ethnicities. There was no genders. It was very much something that any person could look at and say, I see myself in this. Um, And that meant we really had to go down the path of attitude. And there's no animal with more attitude than a honey badger. Um, Very famously and virally, they're known as the honey badger don't give a shit. Um, which is something that I just really respond to as like a saying. And given that we were kind of going down this changemaker activist route where quite often you have to stand up to authorities and be brave and be fearless and be resilient, these are all characteristics of the honey badger that is quite often caught um, standing up to male lions, eating puff adder snakes, temporarily dying and then bouncing back the next day like it never happened we really wanted that level of just absolute like chaos captured and then we wanted Serana to bring in this incredible artistic beauty so that we didn't have this demonic creature and our like collection looked like a death metal collection like we wanted it to be beautiful and feminine and all those things while having that attitude so she she just we had a, had a trait list. She actually pumped it out in about three weeks, which is disturbing. Um, 
but she just drew and drew and drew and we would wait until her kids went to bed at night and there's a little bit of a time difference where we live and we would do meetings from usually 10 p.m till 1 a.m every night and we got that art smashed out and we were so happy looking over that final collection because it just it's a family friendly collection they lean into a character there's always a story behind everyone and people just mint them and they're happy every single time and they see aspects of themselves in every single character yeah I thought it would be good luck to mint an extra honey badger today which I did oh, oh I loved mine's got this like great Aussie leather hat and I was <laughs> And a workman's vest. I was like, what, dude? <laughs> Although a non-dude, but he, I, I yeah. feel like, felt like he an Aussie be bloke. a dude, yeah, why not? He had a little Aussie bloke feel to him. So I think it's wonderful and it's just so incredible to see the purpose come through the art. But tell me a little bit more about what you're going to do. Like, what are the honey badgers, how are they changing the world? And what does it mean to be a honey badger holder? So... We wanted to fund global change makers, like keeping it super simple. That's what we wanted to do. It, I wanted to create something that revolutionized philanthropy. And instead of having all of the corporate structures of being a charity, which I'm so familiar with, I wanted this informal democratic way of like doing high impact giving. Um, and that's not to say giving a chunk of money. That's saying like giving the right amount of money to the right place with no admin and no middlemen. So we wanted to create a DAO, which is something that we did. And that meant that every person who purchased a honey badger and became a holder uh, then had a say in what we did from the philanthropic side. And so we started from month one. We put together a leadership team. We uh, put out an application for anyone who was doing good for their community. And people came out of the woodwork saying, I would like to implement a computer literacy program in the West Point slum in Liberia. I want to build an art center in Naki Valley refugee settlement in Uganda. I'm an activist, uh, an LGBTQI plus activist in Nigeria. And I want to be taken to a conference in the US so I can advocate for uh, queer rights in Nigeria. And we were able to fund a whole heap of incredible, incredible individuals who literally are change makers in their community and with funding from us have been able to change their communities and so I think to date we're up to 11 change makers and they're all exceptional and it's brilliant. So this is great because I think when we've just talked about your experience with COVID project and, and one of the big barriers is raising that money we've talked about cash now we're in cryptocurrency is cryptocurrency helping solve that problem for you when you look back at the two projects? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing with cryptocurrency is it has so much potential. I don't think we're there yet. And the reason why we're not there yet is no, no one's fault except for how acceptable cryptocurrency is in a lot of the countries that we're trying to support. So we often get people who we would like to fund who simply can't accept cryptocurrency because they have no way to cash it out. But certainly the way that we went into this was this concept of the fact that one day we will be able to send every single one of these grants in cryptocurrency instead of, you know, 20% of these grants and there will be no fees and it will be this really kind of simple process. And the day that cryptocurrency can be spent in the real world 
is when this all really comes to life, which I just think is is an unbelievably exciting future. But I will say it's it's still been something that we've relied on. We've done a couple of grants in crypto, but more than that, we've actually been able to bring all of the change makers who we've funded into Web3, onboard them with wallets, give them their first NFT in honey badges and link them into our community, which I honestly think is like a, a real head start to some financial independence that they are the people who you want to make sure have access to that financial independence quickly because they are the people who are going to very swiftly change those communities and countries for the better. So it's a really exciting kind of prospect that I think, much like the metaverse, I feel like we're about five years ahead of our time here, but we're setting up all the infrastructure to be ready to just like go when all of these governments come to the table. Yeah, I mean, it is exciting, isn't it? That just we need that completely connected world, right? And we've we've come so far in the last 20 years already with mobile. I really look forward to seeing what Web3 can bring for us. I'd love to know, are you or have you seen any great examples of people using the blockchain to capture or authenticate the spend and impact that either you or any other social goods are making? Do you think there's a a strong opportunity there for transparency? For sure. I mean, even something as simple as uh, a couple of our grants have gone through the giving block to organizations, not specifically to those organizations, but oftentimes the change maker who's reached out to us works for those organizations. So we're actually kind of backing that individual and the exact kind of route that they want those funds to go to within the organization. So one of them was, uh, for example, Outright International, which is a wonderful LGBTQI plus charity that was launching their, I believe it was called uh, Lesbian Bisexual Connect project. And they were like, we just want to get this off the ground. Like, do you guys reckon you can jump in here? And we were like, absolutely. And being able to put that transaction through on the blockchain and then immediately just link everyone to the Etherscan link that shows, you know, this is when it was done. This is how it went through having that public ledger and that evidence, it takes away the need for an audit. Like a lot of what we do with Honey Badges is pushing away from those traditional systems of the grant application being like arduous, the reporting from the applicants being this time suck and the need for our organization to be audited because hopefully everything eventually will be noted on the blockchain. So we we do all these things by leaning on social media instead of putting together a a report open up a twitter account and build the project that you told us you were going to build in front of our eyes when we make the donation go through on the blockchain let's see it on the public ledger like let's take away all of these kind of very traditional things that are meant to keep people accountable but there are new ways of doing that and there are there are streamlined ways that actually work better for the people who are like implementing the stuff than just these kind of like hire an accountant and a lawyer and get on top of it and spend an extra 10 grand, you know, putting those services together. Yeah, Gina, I really love that because that's really opened my eyes to another use of the blockchain. I can really see the advantages of transparency of spending for the consumer or the donator, but that's so true. You know, we can eliminate entire manpower that just isn't needed, especially when you're operating at a small scale in a charity, if that blockchain can work as an automated process for authentication and auditing, that's fantastic. I mean, this is what we need Web3 to do, right? It's 
not putting us out of a job. It's propelling us further, quicker, and in a more kind of foolproof way, really, in that sense. And tell me, the Honey Badger's DAO, what are you guys working on at the moment? What is most challenging running a DAO? Because from my experiences, you know, people are not necessarily financially incentivized. It really comes from a lot of goodwill from the heart, but is a lot of work. So in kind of summary, yeah, what are you guys working on and how tough is it to keep a DAO going? It's so tough. I would not recommend anyone do it because I think we've been so lucky. I'm like, no one can replicate our luck. That It's not possible. So, you know, light, lightning can't strike twice. So I'm just like, we, we already got all the luck. You guys don't, don't even try. But it's, we, we call ourselves, I mean, we, we went after a DAO structure because we like the democratic side. I always say we're more of a do than a DAO because there's just nothing autonomous about what we do. So, so it's very much reliant on, on people. We put together a DAO leadership team, which we affectionately call the Board of Badgers, uh, which is a team of 10 that, that vets the grant applicants, make sure that everyone is who they say they are and that they're able to spend our money appropriately. And I really thought this was going to be a team of 18 year olds with free time you know, living in their mum's basement who were just like, yeah, like, tell me about these applicants. We have management consultants, risk analysts, people in the public sector, so many people with board experience, people in armed forces. Like it is an incredible crew who I really cannot speak highly enough about. We have a weekly meeting and every time I'm in that meeting, I feel like, how did I get this lucky? This is unbelievable. And then, yeah, the Honey Budgets Dow, we vote every month on the change maker that we're going to fund after they have been vetted by that leadership team. We run everything online all through forms everybody looks over everything checks each other's work it's completely holding each other accountable there's no one person who has access to everything like the t the leadership team has equal access and the leadership team is voted in by the DAO so it, it's very much like a representation of the larger body of holders and then yeah when when the whole DAO votes for the change maker that we're going to fund that's all 900 holders voting so it's a it's a really wonderful or they they all at least have the opportunity to vote I'm sure many of them exercise the right not to because like you said it is a it is a time suck like people you know do have to want to be involved but I think the thing that's been really exciting about honey badges is it's a place where you can get involved really once a month you don't have to come in and grind all month long come in once a month and know that you're doing something really impactful and really good and then get to kind of find out who who won the vote who are we funding this month and then learn more about that change maker and be taken on their process as they implement the project that you voted for. It's very like heartwarming and, and wonderful. So I think people really respond to, to that super well in our DAO. But I have seen several DAOs that kind of go down the route of like, give us all your free time and come help us out. And everybody is enthusiastic in the first month. But like, when it all wears off after that or when the money dries up, it's it's less appealing. So we've really tried to go down a sustainable route and lean on the expertise of this Board of Badges team that we've put together to create an environment that people really want to show up to and that doesn't fully impose on their everyday lives, which are far more important than an NFT project that they are experimenting and learning alongside. Yeah, I love that. I had just had to go through my Discord and unfollow everything I hadn't invested in because I just don't have, I don't have the time. I'm yep. a grown woman and I don't have the time to do a coloring in competition. Like 
I don't got time for that. But I want to yeah. be involved and I want to have impact and I want to have change. Like that's why I backed these. And every single project that I'm part of is because I want to be part of the community and I want to be part of the change. But I keep missing all the freaking updates and memos. So I think that's a really strong structure for Honey Badges and it's like timely, relevant and impactful. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. Yeah. I also think, you know, appreciating that you might have a community that does have 10,000 things on their plate already. Like there is this assumption that people in Web3 have all the time in the world. And I think that's true for like a solid 5% of them who are like really in deep. But the vast majority of people are just like highly educated individuals who want to learn and experiment and maybe have an hour of their day to kind of like dive in and figure out what's going on and do a bit of a pulse check. So I think really respecting that there are those different people and accommodating for them all equally is is super important. Yeah, great. Gina, you have got such an incredible and such a driven expertise. I want to kind of put the question back to you. You know, we've talked about the opportunities of Web3 for charities and social impact. You know, we've got the opportunity of currency and how that can really help us move that across the world and transparency on spending. It sounds like we're not quite there yet. What do you think we need to build a Web3 for good in the charitable and social impact spaces? I think we need more acceptance from institutions and government bodies. Like for me, we talk a lot about mass adoption and that's, you know, getting the people in. But for me, I I don't think we're going to see systemic change until systems change. And while I can see countries like the US progressing, countries like Australia progressing, even though I would say that they're all progressing quite slowly still, we're just going to like widen that gap if we don't kind of pressure all governments, countries and uh, governing bodies to to walk together into cryptocurrency. And I think there's so much potential for low-income countries to learn about blockchain technology now and move at the same pace as some of these larger and potentially more conservative uh, countries. And so I would really love to see a push for um, African nations, uh, countries all across Asia Pacific to really kind of dive headfirst into this. And I think that comes with stronger voices, having conversations like this one, where we stop talking about blockchain in the media as this like greedy place for scammers and, you know, terrible people where everyone's just going to take your money or you're taking someone else's money. Like, let's talk about the use cases, the positive, you know, outcomes here, how many artists have changed their entire lives in this space and how many activists through Honey Badgers alone have been able to change their lives. Because I think when you start telling these stories, it's like you start to realize how limitless the possibilities are here. It's exciting. And, you know, if there's people at you at the front line, we're going to get there. Without a doubt, Gina, you're going to make back at you. Huge change, huge change for the world to come. We like to finish up the episode with a little section called Share the Good Vibes, 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 Good Vibes, where we give a shout out to some other projects going on that people should know about, people should follow. So I want to throw these good vibes your way. All right, Gina, first good vibe 
social good web three project that you're really digging right now that ain't yours. Take up space, um, an incredible web three education platform that is helping to onboard people and has a real passion for diversity. And I'll also just throw in the Royals as well, because again, that shared passion for diversity and, um, and making sure we're onboarding people from all regions. Great. Yeah, I love the Royals. That was a fantastic, fantastic piece. And I was so pleased to see their sellout recently. Right. Next, good vibes. Someone that we must follow on Twitter. Two people. Sarah Bauman, founder of Women and Weapons. Uh, her Twitter name is Sparky. And Maliha Abidi, who is the founder of Women Rise. Two of my very good friends and everything they say is liquid gold. But agreed. In how many, I forget how many characters we've got in Twitter now. 124 characters and less? I think we've got a few more characters these days. Not yeah. enough. <laughs> and I'd love to kind of bring you back to your feminist roots for this one. A feminist quote to leave us all inspired by. All right. So this one is by Chimanda and it is from her book, We Should All Be Feminist, which is a must read. And it says, I have chosen to no longer be apologetic for my femaleness and my femininity. And I want to be respected in all of my femaleness because I deserve to be. And I just feel like that absolutely encapsulates everything it is to celebrate uh, feminism across the board. Oh, I love that. I've had in my social bio for quite a few years, feminist in sequins. Love. Because I'm a loud and proud feminist, but I will turn up to like every event in a sequin gown and the leather jacket. Don't care. I look good in it. Whatever. Let me shine. A hundred percent. That's Let me shine is now my new favorite feminist quote and I'm getting it tattooed on my forehead just so you know. Good. Beautiful. Gina, it's been so good. I have to confess to you, I actually have had my bra off this entire time. I probably won't put it back on, um, but I'm going to leave it off and stick in Web3 with with them just, you know, going. It's audio, guys. You can't see it. So I did what I want. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I, from now on, will take all meetings in pajama pants. So I feel like that's the only way to yeah, go about this. Oh, yeah, I can't stand up. That's not... There are no oh, pants. Really. Like we don't, we, do we do that? I thought COVID <laughs> got rid of pants. Like I thought that was the rule. <laughs> now for all of our listeners at home, when Australians talk about pants, we are talking about trousers uh, because <laughs> I get a few funny looks with that. Gina, <laughs> it was so good to chat. I am beyond excited to see where you end up. All of our listeners, you would have heard our secret giveaway drops within this. Um, but before we head off, Gina, Anything we can support you on and where can we find you online? You can find me online at G underscore D Anderson on Twitter and Honey Badgers NFT. Badgers with no R. It's just uh, E-S. Um, so don't put in an R. You will not find us. And the way that you can support us is come and mint a honey badger. It's the perfect NFT to have as your first NFT because it really is the key to a, an impact-driven community and a group of people who really, really care while being super, super busy. And so you'll find, that you'll find your people immediately when you enter our, our lovely little Discord, which again is a platform for 18-year-old boys that we have co-opted and turned into a worthwhile place to be. <laughs> I'm Camilla Perkis-White, and you've been listening to the Web3 for Good podcast. You can find all the details from the podcast on web3forgood.net uh, or hit us up on social at web3forgood. 
We've got huge ambitions for this podcast, but I need your help. So I would love it if you could take a second to leave us five stars and subscribe. There is a huge underrepresentation of women and sustainability-led podcasts in Web3. So we're going to all need to work together to inspire others and share these stories. Thanks so much. Radio. See you next week.